You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, As you can tell, the stage is a little different this morning. Today is our last of our look at the Feast of Israel. Uh, We've been studying, looking at the Feast of Israel and how God, how Jesus fulfilled these feasts. And uh, I've I've loved it. Like, I'm a history guy. Uh, I love this kind of thing. And I want to tell you, if you like, if you've enjoyed this, there's a card on your seat. We have a Jewish conference, a Jewish Roots conference coming uh, in two weeks. It's called Roots, and we got... Um, Larry Stam, he is a, uh, a first-generation Holocaust survivor, um, a, a Jew that's coming to share with us, and he's a Christian at the same time, and he is amazing. If you guys were here several years ago, he came and led us through a Seder meal, and it was great, and he's coming in a couple weeks to give us uh, just this look at making the Old Testament come alive. And so if you've enjoyed these, these feast series, then come to this. If you haven't enjoyed these feast series, then good news, today's our last one, all right? So either way, it's good news this morning. If you liked it, we got more coming. If you don't, you don't have to come to that conference and today it was the end. But we are looking at this last feast. This is the Feast of Tabernacle. It's, it's got many names. It's the Feast of Ingathering, as they would go and get the grain one last time. It's the Feast of Booths. It was the Feast of Tabernacle. And, and the idea behind this feast was... The reason it's called booths, it means it's another word for tent. In Hebrew, it's in, the word is socket, which is pretty cool to be able to just claim socket. And so this is the, the Feast of Socket, and, uh, and you would have a tent. And the Jews would come, and this was one of the three festivals that the, the Jewish men were, were called to have a pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem. And so they would come and they would build a tent outside the city walls. And when they would build this tent, they would intentionally leave it where the roof was uh, uh, thatched with palm trees, but there was giant holes open in the roof. And then the reason for this is that you would look up and you would see the stars in the sky. And that while you laid there in your tent, it was this reminder of the time that the Jews were left Egypt and they were in the wilderness for 40 years and they didn't have a permanent home. They, they slept in tents and, and it was a hard time. It was a time that you're lost and you're wandering, don't know what the future looks like. But at the same time, you could probably relate. Those hard times, as you look back, are some of the closest times to God that God was providing for them. Every day with the manna, God was providing for them with water, God provided for them. And so the idea was that you would come and you would set up your tent for your whole family and your extended family outside Jerusalem. And so for miles around, there was these tents, these makeshift houses with thatched roofs that they could see the stars, to see the wonder of God. And so this is our little tent here that we have up on stage that, that we would be able, with an open roof, to be able to see the stars above, to see God's work. And so, if you will, dive into this with me. We're going to be in John chapter 7 most of the morning. Uh, go ahead and flip there if you have your Bibles. We're going to start in Leviticus 23 first, but we'll camp out in John 7 to be able to dive into this and see this feast of tabernacles, this feast of Succoth, and to see that this idea of being able to come and get to know Jesus so much better by looking at the Old Testament. Leviticus 23, 41 through 43 says, Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, celebrated in the seventh month. 
live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God." This, uh, this festival occurs in the seventh month, and, and we've looked the past two weeks, there's these three um, fall festivals. There's the, the Feast of Trumpets, and there's the, the Feast of Atonement, and then there's the Feast uh, of Tabernacles, and these three are all part of the seventh month. On the day one of seventh month, two weeks ago, you would have the, the Feast of Trumpets where the horn was blown uh, in a certain, certain pattern to let everyone know the month is here, get ready. And then 10 days later, you had the Feast of Atonement, the Celebration of Atonement. And remember, we had a live goat last week, and you had a goat that was sacrificed and a goat that was sent off um, with, with the sins of the nation to be the scapegoat. And then, on the, uh, then uh, just a little bit later, which would be today, 14 days later, you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Orthodox Jews are celebrating this feast today. This is the day that we would celebrate in this year. And the purpose of this is to remember this time when God provided. This time when we were dependent on God. When he provided everything from protection to, to light to water to food. Everything was up to God. And so the people were ordered to make these tents and they would come and they would bring their family and, and the, the Jewish men would bring their wife and their kids and they would meet up with their extended family and they would uh, shelter under a, a makeshift tent and, and they would celebrate. Of all, the, of all the festivals, this is the one that is the most fun. This is the one where they are celebrating. This is the one where they're, they're living wild. It's like a week-long tailgate party, right? And so they're just having a good time outside the stadium, and they are enjoying, and they are celebrating to remember the greatness of what God did in the midst of their misery. God provided. God cared. This feast is also to celebrate the harvest that's to come. And so it's the feast of ingathering as they bring in the crops. The crowd would all come to Jerusalem. It was estimated that anywhere from half a million, Josephus says two million people, extra people would come into the city at this celebration. So for miles around, there are tents everywhere as far as the eye can see. And each morning, they would get up and they would walk into the temple, into the center of town, and they would go to the temple, and the temple would be crowded, packed full. You could hardly move, and the, the temple was crowded, and then outside of the temple, people were still lining up like, uh, like uh, just a giant parade to celebrate uh, a championship team. Everywhere you look is people. And so they were all coming for one celebration. And so they get there at sunrise, they begin to walk in. And then at nine o'clock that morning, the high priest would come out and they would, someone would blow the chauffeur, blow that horn that we had here a couple weeks ago to declare the ceremonies are about to start. This feast was to remind them of many things, specifically of God caring for them in the wilderness. And one of the ways he did so was to provide water. That Moses at one time was able to hit a stone with his staff and water poured out of a stone. And so a big part of this, big part of this celebration was this ceremony revolving around water. 
And I want to share this, this beautiful scene with you, if you will. Remember, the crowd is packed. You can hardly move. There's no, there's no way to get around. And the high priest would come out of his dwelling, and he would come up to the center part of this elevated place where the people were. And the people would begin to chant and cheer. They were so excited that, that this was the time. And on the first day, of the, first day of the celebration, the priest would read from Zechariah 14.8, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. And so he would proclaim this and everyone would cheer, longing for the living water. This is what they've been looking for year after year, <clears throat> is that living water would come, that this would flow out of Jerusalem, that this would be the water that would pour into them. Not just physical water, but a spiritual water that would, that would heal them, that would take away their sins, that would, that would purify them, that this living water would come up from Jerusalem. And so the high priest at the pinnacle of the beginning of the celebration would come and, they, and he would proclaim, out on this day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem and all the people would roar in excitement. He would then go and he would take a pitcher, a golden pitcher, and he would go down to the pool of Siloam. And so he would work his way out uh, through the crowd. There was, I'm sure, priest, police, I don't know, his own bouncers, and they would guide the way and he would be able to get down to the pool and he would fill this golden pitcher with the water from the pool of Siloam, which is there inside Jerusalem. Then he would walk back. All along the way, there's this parade. People know they didn't make it in the temple, but the priest is gonna come by this pool. So they've lined the road and they've been waiting for him to come by. When they come, they begin to cheer. So you can just hear this excitement as the roar travels across the pathway. He fills up his pitcher and he turns back. There's people with flutes that are following him playing music and the people are cheering. And as he returns, they start to chant, save us, save us, save us. Over and over and over, they are proclaiming, save us. Let this living water come that we might be saved. Finally, let this be the day that we are saved. And so the high priest would come and he would make it back in the temple and he had this ceremony at a golden pitcher full of wine and a golden pitcher full of this water. And he would pour out the golden pitcher full of wine on a rock as a, as a drink offering to the Lord. And then he would take the pitcher and as the people chanted, they would chant from Isaiah 12, three, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Everything is about salvation, praying that this living water would be a source to save them. And the high priest would pour this golden pitcher of water on the rock. And when he was done, the crowd would go nuts, celebrating, let this be the day that salvation is going to come. Let this be the day that God is going to save us. We're crying out, Lord, bring the living water. And so he goes and does a ceremony and he brings it back and he pours it out and everyone just celebrates. And then they go about their day throughout the day celebrating, going back and having a feast at their tent, engaging with one another, having fun at the marketplace, talking to one another at the well, it, just a pure celebration for the next seven days. For seven days, this happens every day. They would come get up early at sunrise, crowd the temple. You missed it yesterday, but this time I made a closer spot. I see the high priest come out. He, he proclaims this message from Zechariah. Then he goes, well, I hear the roar, comes back and I'm in front row. I'm going to see it. He pours out the water. We're all crying out for save us. It splashes on me. I felt the water. I'm so excited. My little boy's here with me. He's felt it. My boy felt the water. Is this the day that he, the Lord will come and save us? Is this the day we will have living water? 
Day three comes. You do the same thing. Day four, you're excited. Let this be the day. Day five, it comes. Day six, day seven. You do this for seven days, longing for the living water, for salvation, crying out with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is your heart's desire. Day after day, when you go back to your tent <laughs> late at night, you're having a campfire with all your family, your grandfather's there, maybe your great-grandfather, and you begin to tell your kids, I remember when I was your age and we, we used to come. And I would get up there and I once got to have the water splash on me as we cried out for this salvation to come. Grandpa, did you have this experience? Grandpa tells the kids, tells your kids about when he was a child. Maybe turn to great-grandpa. Did this happen to you, great-grandpa? He tells the story of when he was a child generations ago, longing for this living water, crying out for salvation. He says when he was a little kid, he would cry out, save us, save us, and wave a palm branch. Just like you, little buddy. For generation after generation after generation, for century after century after century, this has been the custom of the Feast of Tabernacles. That you would come and live in a tent to remember when God provided. And that you would come to the celebration and cry out, let this be the year. Let this be the moment, the day that God will finally save us. That he will send the living water. Now, if you have your Bibles, we jump into John chapter 7. Verse 1. Jesus has been fighting with the Pharisees and the religious rulers. They want to kill him. And verse 1 says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go into Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for ways to kill him. He knew that this was going to happen, but today, this was not the time. This is in the fall. This is at the, at the cusp of the Feast of Tabernacle. He knows his time is to come as the Passover lamb. So he doesn't want to go and cause a controversy, force the situation. Verse 2 says, But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to, into Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. They didn't believe. They're mocking him in this as they talk to him. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. His brothers didn't believe. I can imagine multiple reasons why. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe they grew up with the stories of mom talking about, oh, your older brother's perfect, you know, and then talking about, oh, let me tell you about the birth of your older brother, you know, and, and there's all these stories. I read across, came across something that maybe part of the reason they didn't believe is Joseph is never mentioned anymore. Joseph is, their, is the father of Jesus, not his natural biological father, but the father that God had him raise him, and the father of these other brothers and sisters. And, and many believe that Joseph probably died somewhere along the way. Imagine if you're one of the brothers or sisters. You've heard these stories about Jesus raising someone from the dead. Jesus performing these miracles. Well, where were you when dad died? Well, you were out saving the world. Where were you when, when we needed you most? Whatever reason, they don't believe. It's hard when sometimes the people closest to you mock you for your faith. Some of you know that very well, that your spouse mocks you or a loved one, a friend, a coworker. And it's hard when they don't believe. And, and not only do they not believe, they belittle you 
and mock you. But Jesus is strong in the midst of that. He says, therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going to go up to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. He's not saying that he's not going to go at all, but he's saying not right now. You're going to go on day one. You're going to go and, and everyone's going to know the family's here. Ah, it's not my time yet. I'm not going to go and, and push the issue with those that are tr striving to kill him. Continues verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. So he does go because that's what he's been called to, to be part. He's a Jewish male. He's called to go to Jerusalem for these festivals. And so he goes, but he goes in secret, not to, not to force the situation of the opposition. It says, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowd, there's widespread whispering about him. He's pretty famous at this time, right? Pilgrims from all around are coming and they're telling, hey, did you hear what happened in my area? Let me tell you about this miracle worker. Have you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what I heard. Someone that I know that said they saw someone else saw this. Among the crowd, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one said anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. There's lots of different words, a lot of different things people are saying about Jesus. In fact, if we were to dive into this whole chapter, we'd see some people call him a good man. Some people say he's a deceiver. Some call him a great teacher. Others call him demon-possessed. Some call him a doer of miracles. Some call him a prophet, even the Messiah. Everyone has an opinion. But what matters most is each individual's opinion if they believe in Jesus. If you believe, if I do. If we believe that he's the Messiah, if we believe that he died on the cross for, to take away our sins, if we believe that he was that, that sacrifice, that atonement, that's what matters. What your loved one, what your coworker believes, doesn't matter. For their salvation it does, but not for ours. For ours, that's between your relationship with God. Do you believe? And so the stage is now set. Jesus is, is with the people and he begins teaching. And says, verse 14, not halfway through the festival, Jesus did go up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such great learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus wasn't a well-trained rabbi, and yet he speaks with wisdom and authority, the scripture says. And so if you continue reading, you'll see he begins to, to talk to them about healing a man on the Sabbath. The religious leaders are so upset that he cared for a man on the Sabbath and, and healed him. And he questions their, their heart, their attitude. Are they so caught up in following rules and, and regulations? Are they caught up in following God's love and, and demonstrating that love? And so he gets in this debate and the, and the people don't know what to say to him because he's wise, because he's correct. And so he's there in the temple and he's been teaching. And day eight comes around. The ceremony's been the same every day for seven days. The priest goes, the priest comes back. They cry out, save us, save us. They hope and proclaim that this is the living water, that salvation is here. It's happened every day for seven days. And it's happened every year for centuries. But on day eight, the whole festival changes. It's still a celebration but there you do something different. On day eight, the priest doesn't go to the Pool of Siloam. 
He doesn't pick up the, the, the pitcher of water. Instead, he comes, and he comes to, to the rock. And on this day, they change the focus. They no longer are crying out for, they no longer cry out Isaiah 12, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. No, on day eight, the focus shifts, and they cry out for God to provide rain for the harvest to come. Every day, year after year, Every day, day one through seven, they've been crying out, Lord, save us. This is what we need. We need salvation. We need God to intervene. We need you to step in. We need you to be our God, to take us, to remove our sins, to to fill us with this. And on day eight, they say, all right, he didn't do it. He didn't do it again this year. So let's change our focus. If we're not going to get salvation, let's at least get rain. Almost as shrugs, well, happened again this year. They were longing to be saved and instead they're willing to settle for rain. I look at this and think about us and our walk. How often do we need Christ? How often do we need Jesus in our life? How often do we cry out that we need the salvation, that we need Jesus and yet we settle for second best? We settle for, to find our fulfillment in our work or fulfillment in a relationship, a fulfillment in an addiction or pornography or, or eating or purchasing or to find the second best that instead of longing for Jesus, instead of pursuing him, we just settle. Settle for second best. Because that's easy. And so day after day, they want to be saved Finally, on day eight, instead of having faith and trust that, Jesus, that God would send salvation, they say, okay, 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 just give us rain. We'll settle for that. So this little boy, as he looks up at his dad and he hears about what the traditions were in the past and he hears stories from his grandpa and his great-grandpa, generation after generation has been telling him how we just settled. We cried out for sa- to be saved but then we settled for rain. And so on this day eight, the crowd comes together and they're chanting and cheering, but there's a tradition that the priest raises his hand at the time when he would normally pour out the water, crying out for us to be saved. He raises his hand and the crowd goes silent. And at that, you could hear a pin drop because now they're gonna cry out for rain. They've settled This crowd of thousands and tens of thousands and and perhaps 500,000 to 2 million are silent, waiting for the high priest's words to cry out for rain. And it's at this moment we jump back into John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and, and said in a loud voice, at the moment when everyone else is silent, at the moment when they've given up on praying for salvation, at the moment when the entire crowd is quiet, you can hear a pin drop, Jesus proclaims in the midst of them and standing in the temple, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. They've been longing for this for seven days, for seven years, for seven years, for 700 years. And it's here. In amongst the crowd, Jesus proclaims, I am the living water you're crying out for. You've been wanting to be saved. I am salvation. 
John continues on, verse 39, he explains it for us. By this, he, meaning Jesus, meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is glorified when he dies on the cross and raises again. He comes and stands amongst the people and he teaches for 40 days and then he ascends up to heaven. And he tells us in the book of John that he has to go so the spirit can come. And he ascends up to heaven and then Acts chapter 2 we see in Pentecost. Remember the feast that we celebrated at the beginning of this year. That at Pentecost, the Spirit comes down and in all those who believe, and Peter, and John, and all the disciples, and all the witnesses, and the thousands that came that day, the thousands and hundreds and millions that will come for the next many years, and you and I, the Holy Spirit, comes and fills us. That the day of salvation, the living water is here. That we don't need to cry out, save us. We don't need to cry out, give us the living water, because it's been given. The Holy Spirit is in us. Jesus fulfilled this feast and the Holy Spirit is now indwelling with us. Because of that, the Spirit, the Bible tells us so many things that the Spirit does, but the Holy Spirit that's in you and me is the same Holy Spirit. We are connected as a body of Christ and I don't mean Discovery Church. As all Christians, we are connected to the body of Christ across state lines, across nations, across time. The same Holy Spirit has been in us and that Spirit creates new life. That Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. That Spirit helps us understand God's word and intercedes for us. It connects us. It convicts us. It seals us for eternity. It says on hearing, verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Who do you say he is? For years they've been crying out, save us. Save us, send us this living water. Be, God, give us salvation. And Jesus says when it's silent, what you've been crying out for, it's here. It's me. And the spirit is gonna come. And you and I enjoy the fruits of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, of conquering death, of raising again, of conquering Satan and conquering sin, bringing us atonement, bringing us salvation, bringing us forgiveness. On this day of tabernacle, it's a day of tabernacle because it was this idea that when they were wandering, they built a tabernacle for God to dwell among the people. And so they all have these little tents to remember the time when they were in little tents and God was in a tent dwelling among the people. And then years later, Jesus comes to earth. As John says, the, the word of God dwelt among us. He walked with the people. He ate with them. He laughed with them. He healed them. And then he said that I have to leave so the spirit will come. The living water has come. And now this tabernacle, this temple where God once dwelt among the people, now dwells in the people, in you and me. Believers, God no longer dwells among them, but he dwells in us. As 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. As we close out this feast series, with communion. We close out the feast as God intended with a celebration. 
this is the last feast. And there's one rabbi that said, you have, not, you have not experienced a celebration until you've been in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. Because it's the greatest celebration of them all. Everyone's excited because God was dwelling among them. Among them remembering this idea in these temples, in these tents, in these booths. Imagine the celebration we should have that he is dwelling inside us. The living water. We no longer have to cry out, save us. Because he already has. And so if you've not been saved, if you've not accepted Jesus as your savior, I want to encourage you, go to the prayer room. Sandy's there. She'd love to talk to you about it. Come see me outside. I'd love to talk to you about it. But for those of us that have the Holy Spirit in us, those of us that are saved, let this time be a time of celebration as we take communion. To celebrate that we have been sealed. To celebrate the Holy Spirit has come upon us. To celebrate that Jesus died for us and rose again and ascended to heaven and has been glorified. And the Spirit, the living water, now flows and pours over each one of us and in us and hopefully overflows out of us as we engage with other people. Let this be a celebration the rest of this morning. That the communion is a celebration. And then we will worship in celebration of who God is. The living water who saved us. If you'll pray with me, God, I just pray that this communion is a celebration. That this is a joyful time, God, that we will reflect on what you did for us. And because of that, we are saved. Lord, because of that, we have the living water. Because of that, we can cry out, save us, save us, save us. And know that it has been done. God, I thank you for saving us. I thank you for being the living water. And Lord, at those times when we're struggling, those times when it feels like we're going through the wilderness, those hard times, let's also reflect that those are the times that you carry us, that you've saved us. God, the times that we have confidence in our future, in our salvation and in the Holy Spirit that resides in us, as you now no longer dwell among us, but in us. In your name, amen.